All right, guys, let's start. Now, what are we talking our last period about? Let's look. Oh, <laughs> all right, let's talk about commercial beekeeping and some of the advanced issues. All right, guys, let's resume our <coughs> class. I was reminded just uh, a couple of minutes ago by um, my brother right here that one of the, uh, when you extract your honey in, in, in your own home, one of the methods of uncapping that works well is um, a roller that is prickly, has like, like <laughs> has pins, a roller with pins. And you take your frame and just roll it like this or like this, I don't know which way. It pokes holes in each cell and then you put it in an extractor and spin it and it comes out just beautifully. So what, what you achieve with that type, what you achieve is um, you don't cut off too much wax of your frames. However, when your frame it was placed in a hive not too close together but a little further, the bees will build fatter frames. You might want to cut that off too, right? Oh, sometimes well, you... I, I run 10 frames no matter what. So. I see. I see. So sometimes the bees will build really fat frames. So it's your choice whether you want to keep them that thick or you cut some off for your wax production, whatever you want to do. Some people use wax for candle production or whatever. There's always wax available when you do bees. So there's extra wax that comes back from, from whatever processing of your stuff. That's right, wax is expensive. Yes, one more question. Yes, absolutely. Whatever you uncap, there's plenty of honey on it. You can strain it through the cheesecloth or whatever method of straining you have. You can put it in a, in a paint strainer thing and spin it in the machine too and get all the honey out <laughs> you know you, normally what I do I put it in some kind of cheesecloth and let it drip overnight and there's plenty of honey coming over it too it's pretty good honey too yes the guys that are doing <coughs> commercial bees just for like almond pollination do they use the honey or? they do well, here's and we'll talk this class period we'll talk about large-scale beekeeping commercial beekeeping and any issues that they are dealing with because the commercial guys issues are different than mine and yours we are hobbyists we do it for fun we do it because we love it they do it because they love beekeeping too but they have one more thing that's driving them that's the bottom line financially can I do this this season do I have enough money for this or this or this or what are the gains if I do this or this or this <laughs> so what are the returns so that those are some of the things we'll talk about yes <coughs> All of the honey today that's produced is actually uh, centrifuged. It's extracted in centrifuges. So almost 100% of the honey. Maybe, one, maybe 99. 1% comes from dripping from all the cuttings, you know, straining things and all that kind of stuff. Um, actually, I'm wrong. <clears throat> There's honey that comes in, um, commercially to your table that is not extracted, it's comb honey. So if you buy comb honey, it has not been processed at all. Now when you buy liquid honey, it has been extracted 
So if it has been extracted, that means that the honey was in contact with stainless steel, aluminum, other pipes, maybe some lubricant got into your honey, and as it was strained through the mash, some chemicals got into your honey. As it was stored in 55-gallon drum, you don't know what was stored prior to you storing the honey there. You don't know what chemicals are produced in the tin that is prepared for your 55-gallon drum, or whatever method, or even the jars you buy in a store. You don't know what goes into the processing of the glass and how well the glass is washed before it's shipped to you to fill the jars. Therefore, buying honey in the jars or producing honey by extracting adds a few more steps and adds a few more impurities to honey. So if you extract honey, if you bottle honey, there's few other elements and chemicals that may be added into the whole compote. So you are getting possibly some contaminants in it. Therefore, we come to the top bar hive as the purest, best, cleanest, most natural way of consuming honey. What does that mean? It's a bar that has just a tiny strip of wax on the top and the bees will build the comb from scratch from the fresh nectar from your area. So your wax is not prefabricated on a factory as a foundation, right? So your nectar doesn't come in touch with some contaminated uh, foundation, wax or plastic foundation that's coated with wax. The bees made that foundation from nectar from your backyard, right? So they produced it. There's no contamination except whatever in the air, it, whatever pollution is in the air that was absorbed by the nectar, that's the only contamination to your honey, right? <laughs> or whenever, whatever dust or particles floating in the air they may get into your honey. That's the only contamination for that honey. So that honey is most naturally cleanest produced honey, did not come in touch with stainless steel, aluminum, any lubricants, any container storage. It's stored in the natural storage that the Lord provided for the bees. So if you harvest pieces of comb from top bar hive, it's your purest, cleanest, most natural honey you can get. So that honey has no contamination whatsoever except whatever air particles are there and whatever chemicals in the air got into the nectar. So your cleanest honey is comb honey from top bar hive. Your next cleanest honey is unprocessed, unfiltered honey and your third, which is actually called grade A honey, which is the least tasty and the least beneficial honey. It's grade A honey that has been heated, pumped through the paper filters, therefore it's void of any pollen, propolis, or, or wax. It has very few healing properties. Plus, whatever enzymes that were alive and, and were beneficial were destroyed in the process of heating. So heated honey or grade A honey is not a good choice unless you use it as you use sugar, which is strongly discouraged. Using of sugar is like killing yourself, dying a slow death. I won't scare you with all that kind of stuff. But stay away from sugar and stay away from honey unless you're using it very moderately. The Bible says, eat a little honey, okay? Why? There's three, four redeeming qualities. It has propolis, which has pollen, which has wax. Pollen has micronutrients and vitamins. 
and uh, propolis has antibacterial, uh, antiviral, antifungal properties, which are good for you. And the fourth benefit of honey, as opposed to sugar, it has flavor. It has nice scent from whatever flower it came from. Anybody tried orange blossom honey? Beautiful, beautiful scent to that honey, right? Any, anybody tried uh, basswood or linden tree honey? It grows in moderate climates, like, like northeast. Very flavorful honey, very beautiful honey. Um, any other interesting honeys you tried you like? Each? Uh, Gowberry, I like Gowberry, that's pretty good. Yeah, each? Interesting. Each variety of honey has their own flavor, their own, their own texture even and just beautiful thing. All right, let's switch to commercial beekeeping and special, um, um, more complex things about beekeeping. Yes? Quick question. I heard uh, the, best, the best honey that you can uh, eat or consume <coughs> is the honey is produced in the area where you live because the pollen is actually from the area where you live. Very true, very true. Um, we all know that um, some people get allergy in the springtime when things blossom, you know, the pollen is, you know, blown away your, in your direction and you're breathing that and all of a sudden you have runny nose, teary eyes, and some uh, people will send you to the pharmacy to buy some kind of antihistamine, right? <laughs> um, another alternative method of combating that kind of condition is using honey that is produced in your area. Why is it good? It's like inoculating yourself against that allergy. If you are combating some kind of allergy, the, the way to, to actually fight the allergy is to introduce minuscule amount of that, of that allergen into your life, either by digesting it or by injecting it. So one or the other. So if you are allergic, let's say, to um, goldenrod, some people are, or ragweed, some people are. Make sure you, you talk to your neighbors in your area that have some hives and ask, hey, can I have fresh honey that you just extracted during the blossom of this particular plant? Grab some of that honey and, and ingest it a little bit, teaspoon a day, that's all you need, a teaspoon a day. What you're doing when you eat that honey, you actually are eating some of that pollen. And if you took a spoonful of that pollen, you actually would cause an allergic reaction right away. But if you take a teaspoon of honey, there's just maybe 20 or 100 granules of pollen, which is a very minuscule amount. You digest that, and in the process, your body develops antibodies, your body, your organism develops, un, develops antibodies to that allergen that fights it on the, on, on the level of your physiology. And eventually, you get, you get desensitized to that allergen. So slowly you will increase the intake of that pollen. Eventually you will be able to eat a teaspoon of that pollen and you won't have any allergic reaction. And then you inhale that pollen and it gets into your lungs and it doesn't produce all the mucus and all the teary eye anymore. It's, it's a slow process. You start slowly and increase the consumption of local pollen. First you use it in the honey because you are getting it in very small quantities. Then you can even switch to having pollen from your backyard. Not necessarily from the tree, but um, you can install a pollen trap on your hive, on your neighbor's hive, with his permission, <laughs> and, and just take maybe like a quarter spoon after you already tried honey first, and you saw the improvement after you tried it for months or two, 
switch to taking little pollen, maybe a few granules of pollen, and they are about 1 16th inch square, uh, cube uh, volume. Take one, take two, take four, take 16, and um, eventually you build up your resistance to that allergen. That's true. Okay. Let's talk about commercial beekeeping and issues that they are facing. Whatever issues I may face and you may face as hobby uh, beekeepers, they are totally different. For example, we may uh, look at weak colony and strong colony and we will be naturally interested to nurse the weak colony. We will start nursing the weak colony and say, hey, I need to help this colony. And you try to do everything you can to improve the health of it. Now, the commercial beekeepers do not deal with bees that way. They think bee yards. I have a bee yard here, which has about 100 colonies. I have another bee yard there, has 100 colonies. And they may have 20 or 30 yards like that. And they think not individual colony. They think groups. They say that bee yard has an issue with something. And they say, well, the issue was, for example, that yard has, let's say, nozema. Nozema is, is a simple organism that causes diarrhea in bees. So it normally happens under humid, moist condition, and especially when the colony is weak. So a commercial guy would not look at in individual hive and say, I need to nurse this hive back to health. The guy will think radically and he says, I'm going to get rid of these colonies. So that's how they deal with disease. These colonies don't do well, they are infected. What I'm going to do, I'm going to basically abandon those colonies. I will change my equipment up, I will shake out all the bees, and I will start from scratch. They will order new packages. They will treat, possibly, if the whole yard, or maybe 10 yards, have nozema, and it only happens in moist, colder climates, they will probably order medication. And the medication they will use is called either Fumidil or uh, Fumidine or Fumidil. I forgot exactly the name of it. But you can look in the literature or online um, what exact brand or marketing name you have. Um, in my country, it, the, the brand name is Fumagiline B. That's the one that prevents or kills Nozema and they would use that by feeding syrup that has this particular medicine added to the syrup. As the bees ingest syrup, they kill the little amoeba-like organism inside and they improve. Now, they only will do it when many of their yards will get sick. But if one of the yards got sick, they will just shake the bees out and buy new colonies. That's how they deal with, with disease like that. Now, how do they deal, the main killer for, the main issue for commercial beekeepers is varroa mite. I already told you. If you are anywhere in the continental USA, or if you are anywhere in the world for that matter, you have varroa mites there. If you bought healthy bees within a year, the population of varroa mites, which are horrible things, they will suck the lymph out of your baby bees and your bees will be deficient. Eventually, within two years untreated, they'll kill your whole yard, your, all your colonies. So commercial beekeepers will have to stay on top. Can they do natural treatments like go and collect thyme and put a bunch of thyme in each individual hive and, and just go and 
two weeks later, remove the time. They don't really do that. They don't have time for that. They don't have time for time. <laughs> right? Can do wormwood. That's another natural way of getting rid of, of, um, of that uh, parasite. They, they will have to find huge plantation of wild wormwood, right? <laughs> Uh, they don't do that either. It's really hard for them time-wise. So what do they do? There's, uh, there's a few uh, treatments that they buy on the market in the beekeeper's stores. They can order chemical treatments that are fairly harsh. Some of them are like uh, formic acid. Um, it's a special pad that soaks in that acid. You open, unseal the pad a little bit. You don't want too much of that acid evaporating onto your hives. And that acid is pretty heavy as it evaporates. It's heavier than air. So the, you put it on the top of your frame and it slowly evaporates and, and the fumes go down through the hive, affecting the mites all the way to the bottom of the hive. So what do they do to the mites? The mite big, probably gets dizzy and stops reproducing and drops down. If you have, you know, if you are a hobbyist, you probably have a double bottom um, hive. You have a sticky piece of paper there that might get stuck to it, so you are very happy. Even if you're using natural remedies. A commercial guy would use one of these powerful medicines like, like uh, formic acid, which in many cases will affect your bees also. It can kill bees. So if you don't have well-ventilated hive in the summertime, by the way, in the summertime, the bees will put a fanning squad of bees at the entrance of the hive. And they will be fanning the air out of the hive so fresh air would get through the venting openings on the top of a hive or cracks of a hive. So they constantly keep the flow of air through the hive. So if you're having this evaporating acid on the top of a hive, and they are venting, then there's always very weak concentration or mixture of acids with the air, which is okay. But let's say it's winter time or fall time and the temperatures are low and it's cold and you put this pad with formic acid on top of a hive, there's no flow of air. All of a sudden you have high concentration of these fumes and you can kill your own bees with your own medication. So read the instruction if, if you get into these um, chemicals treating your bees. Now, commercial guys very often use non-conventional FDA non-approved methods. One of them is um, they use um, they use a special uh, chemical uh, called Amitraz, uh, which is in the USA. It's approved for killing mites on dairy uh, dairy. Uh, production facilities. So if you come to a dairy, they always spray Amitraz solution in their farm to keep the mite population down. Because when you have like thousands of cows in the same facility, the mites, they have another variety of mites. It's not, it's not Varroa mite, but a mite also nonetheless. They use this special 20% concentration of Amitraz. Amitraz is oil soluble. It's a chemical that at the concentration of 20% works really well to kill all kinds of mites. At the same time, it's used as insecticide to kill all kinds of larvae, flies, or whatever other mosquitoes would be there. At that high concentration, it will also kill your bees at 20% concentration. However, if you have a 2.5 or lower concentration of Amitraz, 
and you can dilute this uh, bovine variety of amitraz that you they actually spray it on cows too to reduce the mites on the cows and you can dilute that about eight times so from from 20 basically to about two two percent concentration or less many beekeepers commercial beekeepers in fact it's illegal in the u.s it's it's not fda approved to to use that uh, that chemical for beekeepers in olden days it was available for purchase through mexico and was called tactic tactic still is available you can buy it illegally uh, just like you can buy illegal drugs <laughs> don't do that don't get caught <laughs> but many beekeepers do that most of the commercial beekeepers i know produce their own legal way of they buy legal bovine amitraz which is marketed under bometraz in the usa and it's legal so bometraz is a version of amitraz for bovines and they diluted eight times so basically they take um you know a gallon of of um, 20 percent bometraz and they put it to eight gallons of oil any cooking oil they mix all that thoroughly they take shop paper towels you know for the for the mechanics shop the blue towels they cut that long towel in two so they have three toilet size paper rolls toilet paper size rolls <laughs> and then they dump it in a five gallon bucket filled with that oil so that paper will soak in the the solution the oil with two percent of amitraz in it then what they do they would have a couple of beekeepers one is picking the lid off the hive the other guy will grab this this roll and just peel off one sheet at a time and drop on the top of the frame and then drop the lid back and then next hive and they go really quick because they have thousands of of colonies to treat and they will in a day they can treat probably a thousand colonies just by putting the sheets there two weeks later they will collect those sheets in fact as the bees run around the hive and they all constantly run doing all kinds of jobs they will run on this sheet pick up some of this oil solution from from the sheet and then start walking around doing their job spreading this amitraz everywhere in the hive which will affect the varroa mite it will kill the varroa mite it's actually a miticide it will kill any mite and uh, if you use that in higher concentration it also will kill your bees so remember amitraz is not fda approved but it's however it's used by most of the commercial beekeepers and the way they go around the law they legally buy it as bometraz the one designed for bovine and they dilute it to lower concentration of amitraz and use it on the bees um, a similar product called tactic was legally allowed but then was banned it's still available in mexico not available here why it's not available um, it is not good for humans amitraz is not good for humans you, if you inhale or have physical contact with amitraz you will have nausea you will start vomiting um, if you use amitraz as treatment for the bees you have to wear rubber gloves that are chemical chemical resistant gloves uh, you don't want to breathe the vapor so you wear a chemical mask and all that kind of stuff what do you think that's doing for the bees and then if you produce honey what does that do for the honey when you eat that honey or what does that do to you when you eat that honey later 
Now, most of these methods and, and chemicals are a serious issue. And if FDA finds residue of this stuff and substance in your honey, your honey will be banned from the shelves. So most of the guys that are using Amitraz or, or some kind of bovine product to treat their mites do not sell honey. Why? They don't want to be in trouble. So the only reason they are using that because they will recoup and earn pretty good money on pollination. Because 80% of beekeepers' income is not honey. 80% of beekeepers' income is pay from almond pollination. So that's why you see these semis, you know, full of beehives covered in mash being hauled on Highway 20 all the way to West Coast for pollinating of almonds. And those guys will use all kinds of chemicals. They will use uh, uh, formic acid. They will use um, even fumaric acid. I, this is very harsh acid, but they dilute somehow and they use that for control of varomite. The greatest issue for commercial beekeepers is varomite. And they would use anything to treat their bees to have them varroa free. I know beekeepers who actually every month prophylactically use amitraz on their bees. Every month, just, just to prevent varroa infestation. And they are dealing with it daily. Why? Because they are, they are uh, how should I put it? The rate at which they increase the population is very high. They keep one-year queens. They don't keep queens older than one year. Why? Because they want a rapid increase in population. They, they go for production, fast production, strong beehives. Strong beehive means that you have strong varroa population too because they develop together with regular larvae. And because of that, monthly they treat them with amitraz. Every month they, they do these treatments. Uh, these tr or any treatments you do, remember that you have to do them excuse me, at intervals of, of um, seven days, seven days, seven days. Introduce that, this particular um, chemical or whatever you are using. Why? Because what is the cycle of the bee? 21 day? So you want to cover all the bees at all the uh, stages of development uh, that you are mite free. The same thing with, with Amitras for commercial beekeepers. They put it in, you know, three weeks in a row, seven days period. Eventually they stop, then next month they do it again, then stop. And they do not focus on honey production. In fact, some of these uh, legally available remedies against varroa mites are only allowed in your hive prior to honey flow or after the honey flow. Uh, what is a honey flow again? Anybody can tell me? the time when there's nectar available and the time when the honey, the, the bees are collecting the nectar. It's called honey flow. Basically, honey production time, you do not want to use any chemicals or any treatments, unless they are natural treatments as wormwood or, or thyme or something else natural, or you do thermal treatment of your bees. You do stuff like that. Um, there's another acid. Um, and it's, um, it's something that I did back in the Ukraine. We actually used a water solution of it. We just sprayed our bees. How do you apply your acid? Uh, uh, fumes. You do fumes? fumes? Well, tell us about your experience. Uh, it's uh, oxalic acid. And yeah, you put um, like a quarter of a teaspoon in a, in a little cup. And heat it up? And, and you hook it to a battery. 
and it heats up and then it turns into a liquid and then it turns to a vapor. And when you put it in, you block the entrance so that the, you know, the fumes don't get out and it goes throughout the whole thing. And it doesn't bother your brood or your honey or your bees. That's, that's another very safe acid, oxalic acid. You can either use, the, I use it as solution. We spray the bees with a spray bottle and make sure all the bees are sprayed. Now people use it as fume. Um, I've seen actually an, um, a tablet, like a, a, um, a, a, like a pyro device where you light it up and it heats up, like burning. Like a fume. Yeah, and produces smoke, which is pumped through a hive, which also controls the varroa mite. So, so what's it called again? Uh, oxalic acid. Wait, don't, don't you have to have some protection on to use that stuff too? You don't want to breathe it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, commercial people are very careful in honey production and any contamination. Because I know a guy in California that produces 1% of all the honey that's produced in the USA. Wow. So, if you produce 1% of US honey production, you want to be very careful what's on the shelf. And if one of your jars somewhere is caught being contaminated with some kind of chemical, guess what happens to all the shelves in all the stores when where your honey is? It's recalled. It's pulled off the shelf. It's a big thing. So they are dealing with issues like FDA, who is checking, taking, testing their honey, testing the health of their colonies. They actually have to register their colonies with the local agriculture organization that supervises at the county seat supervises all the agriculture production of that county. So they will have to send a uh, technician from there to take samples of your bees, to take samples of your honey, to take samples of your wax, to check what kind of bacteria it carries, to check whether you have fire ants in your colonies, how much um, uh, of, of, uh, uh, of varroa infestation you have, whether you have hive beetle. So all these reports will be um, assessed and then you will be given either a healthy report or a bad report basically will shut you down. So um, as a hobbyist you don't face any of those issues. You, if your hive is sick, you are trying to nurse it, you, you are trying to do your best. Um, now there's another issue for, uh, for commercial um, beekeepers. One of the things they are dealing with is bee locations. Each state has different rules about placing bees. Now, each county and each city has their rules. So where can you keep bees? Some cities have very friendly rules and laws about beekeeping. You could have a bee on the top of your flat 20-story building, a beehive, and that'll be okay. Some cities won't. For example, I have an, my brother-in-law lives in San Francisco, and he has a house clo close to the Twin Peaks in the very densely, all San Francisco is densely populated, but it's, it's all residential area. And there's a small park there, and a neighbor had a beehive in that park, a tiny park called Al's Park, and that colony of, of bees was there in the park producing some honey, and San Francisco has a weather that bees fly year-round there, you know, and bring something. There's always blossoms, either, you know, some rosemary is blooming or something. Something's blooming all the time there. So the neighbor was collecting local honey. It was very fragrant honey. But somebody complained, some neighbor was walking by and got stung. Guess what happens? The city will revise their rules. Yeah. 
and will rewrite the rules. So you cannot have the beast so far away from any pedestrian crossing or any sidewalk or things like that. So commercial beekeepers do not try to keep bees in the cities. They only are allowed to keep bees out in the fields, out of the cities, somewhere farm areas, um, some wild meadows areas. However, each state, for example, has their rules. For example, North Dakota allows beekeepers to place bees without being registered. You don't have to register with a county, with a county. you can just place your bees in North Dakota, no problem, just ask the farmer, is it okay to place bees at your farm? And he says, yes, please. So you bring your semi of bees, you unload them there, and you are a happy camper, and the bees are happy because North Dakota has plenty of clover, sweet clover, and alfalfa. Some of the sweet clover fields are just wild fields covered in sweet clover. There's two varieties. There's yellow sweet clover and white sweet clover. And the fields are just beautiful hues of yellow, white, and mixture of both. And just beautiful fields producing excellent quality honey. Very clear, very mild, pleasant tasting honey. So many honey producers haul their bees after May, somewhere early June. They will take them all the way to North Dakota. By the way, if you bought honey anywhere in Target, Walmart, Kmart, or any major chain selling honey, read the label. It most likely will, likely will say Bismarck, North Dakota, because <laughs> most of the honey is produced there. Uh, so the issue in North Dakota is how do you place your colonies, your thousands of colonies, without infringing on another beekeeper's rights to the pasture? Because there's hundreds of beekeepers with thousands of bee colonies and North Dakota is big but not that big. So you have to negotiate and talk to the neighbors and the neighbor will say I already have a guy next door that has bees. So the issue they are dealing with they go to the guy next door and say hey is that okay if I put bees here if he gets an okay and, and allowed to do that he will do that and everybody is happy. However if you place your bees and there's a complaining party somewhere that his bees are too close to my bees. Whoever was there prior to your location establishment takes precedence. So they will keep the bees and you will have to move your bees. And if you move your bees too often, first of all, you don't get enough sleep because when do you move bees, guys? At night. At night. So you don't get enough sleep. Then you get worn out. Then you use too much fuel then you pay your drivers you know, for, for their semi-equipment. It's a very expensive thing to move bees. Therefore, South Dakota has better rules. Before you can even bring your bees to South Dakota, you have to register with the county that deals with, uh, with the local counties that deal with that area. And you have to tell them, I have these many bee colonies and I would like to bring them into your state, into your county. What they will do? they will look at the map and every beekeeper that has bees commercially there has to be registered with the county and there's a map of each location so before you bring your colonies in the county officer will look at the map and will say well this county doesn't have any more locations available because each location will be allowed five mile radius of privacy so there's enough pasture for the bees to go out so you will try calling another county and they say, well, there's a location here and there. Would you like to be registered here or there? 
So you say, I'll be registered here. So they'll ask for the health certificate for your farm. You will present that. And if your bees are reported healthy, you'll be allowed to place bees there. You will be registered for that location. And it's a good thing that you are registered with them because in case there's any commercial farmer spraying their fields using air, like helicopter or airplane, or even if they spray with tractors, the farmer will notify the county agency, which will notify you as a beekeeper that there will be spraying happening on such and such day. So you have two options. You can either close your hives for the day of spray, or you can move your hives away, which is a very, very hard work and very expensive proposal. <laughs> but sometimes you have to do that if you don't want to lose the honey, I mean the bees to, to your chemicals. So that's another issue they're dealing with. The greatest issue that, uh, that um, commercial beekeepers are dealing with is um, colony collapse disorder. It's called CCD. It's um, a, a phenomenon that started about 10, 15 years ago. A guy would come to his yard and see very robust colonies there working hard. A week later, he's coming to the same yard, opens his hives, and there's just five bees. Good frame, good brood, and the bees are gone. And, um, and it was a puzzle for quite a while colony collapse disorder about 10 years ago was a big thing. We lost, the USA lost like 50% of their bee population. Some farms were wiped out completely. Some had about 30% left. Most of them had about 50% of their bees wiped out. The interesting thing is that all of the hobbyists like you guys are, or I am, we didn't lose the bees. We didn't face colony collapse disorder. And the big question was why? We have these commercial guys and we have these hobbies. The hobbies didn't lose. Their colonies are not wiped out. What's the deal? So as they started researching, it turns out that the drive to push for production is not good for the bees. If you are hobbies, you are keeping your bees in a place where there's plenty of varieties of flowers, different nectar, different pollen is available. And for the bees, the nectar could be the same. It could be just cane sugar diluted with water. It's okay. However, the bees will need variety of pollen. Why? Because pollen is where they get their micronutrients and vitamins. They get their minerals, they get vitamins from pollen. And if you only have one variety of plants producing pollen, and that's what happens to the commercial guys. Where do the commercial guys take their hives? To commercial fields, almond orchards, for example. And if you have your hives in an almond orchard, the almond grower guy will mow all his orchard clean of all the flowers and all the weeds. If they are still growing, the almond grower will spray them with grass be gone or Roundup. So you have thousands of acres of almonds and nothing else. So commercial guys, bees, end up eating, let's call it scramble eggs Sunday, scramble eggs Monday, scramble eggs Tuesday, scramble eggs the whole week, scramble eggs a whole month. What does that do to the health of a body?
of a human. <laughs> Not good. The, sa the same thing is happening to the health of a body of a bee. They need a variety of pollen. So if you are a hobbyist, you have rosemary blossoming, you have some fruit trees blossoming, you have some dandelion blossoming. Dandelion is an excellent producer of pollen. You have some other flowers blossoming, you have variety. And if you have variety, you get all kinds of micronutrients that are necessary, you get all the vitamins too. So you, are, you have a whole panel of, 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 of uh, minerals and, and vitamins available to you. But if you are on a commercial farm, let's say you took your honey production farm to a um, to an clover field or alfalfa field, and there's thousands of acres of that stuff and nothing else. Most of the alfalfa today is um, GMO alfalfa, and there's a friendly name for that. You know the friendly name for GMO alfalfa? It's called Roundup Ready. <laughs> So it's a Roundup Ready alfalfa. Basically, that means you spray that alfalfa field with Roundup, it, and Roundup kills all the weeds, and your alfalfa grows like nothing happens. You know, it actually thrives. It's beautiful alfalfa. The only bad thing about that alfalfa is it cannot reproduce. It does not produce seed. It blossoms. The, the, the blossom doesn't have nectar. And naturally, it does not produce seed. And it's, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for the flowers or the future generation of alfalfa. And it's not good for the bees because they don't find any nectar there. If they have non-GMO non alfalfa available, they will visit that. But it's just alfalfa, nothing else. And that's a problem. So that's problem number one, monoculture production. Farms becoming more and more focused on one particular variety they are producing or one particular plant. It's not good for the bees. They need variety of food. Number two issue the commercial guys are facing also is linked to, in, to industrialization of beekeeping. All of a sudden, you are not really interested in the natural, healthy ways. And I know it on my own. When I was a 10-colony beekeeper, I used natural remedies on my hives. I used wormwood for varroa, and I, I used very, very good techniques and, and habits in, and practices in beekeeping. And now I have like 160 hives. I do not have time. I cannot afford time because I also have a job and I also have family. And, you know, I just cannot afford time. So I take shortcuts like treatment with amitraz and I don't do honey production therefore I can do I, in fact I have just 20 hives at Weimar that are for honey alone I do not treat them with amitraz um, but the rest of my hives I use for pollination therefore I want them healthy I use amitraz in them I take them for pollination and um, I take shortcuts commercial people take shortcuts like that they cannot afford time, they cannot afford, nat afford natural practices of keeping the disease natural way away from the, <laughs> from the bees. So they use harsh chemicals, they, use, um, uh, they push the bees to the limit, which in turn depresses the immune system of the bees. And you get that thing called colony collapse disorder. So the final research showed uh, that, that 
it is the monoculture it is the pushing the bees to their limit and they fall prey to the smallest most insignificant organism like some kind of viral infection that they nor under normal condition would be able to fight off but because of uh, of their immunity being depressed they cannot fight off anymore so they fly out of the hive and die or or they fly out of the hive and get disoriented because of the effect of neonicotinoids which is a type of an herbicide that is systemic you know the old herbicides you just spray them on the plant now neonicotinoids abandon Europe but they are still available in the, available here in the USA how do they work the seed before it's planted is soaked in a solution chemical solution called well the whole group is called neonicotinoids but there's different marketing brands that it's sold under so the seed is saturated with that poison so to speak and that seed as it's planted and it's draw moist draws moisture from the soil starts growing all that chemical stuff will be systemic now in the plant it's not just sprayed on top of the leaves it's in the in the sap in the system of the plant it's actually in the nectar that the bee will collect from the flower and as the bee collects the nectar that is affected by neonicotinoids it loses its ability to navigate somehow it messes the navigational system for the bees they leave the hive they they eat that nectar and then they can't find their home if they were fed or if they happen to come upon the field which seeds were neonicotinoid treated so Europeans banned that about six years ago maybe seven years ago now we still are using them but there's a strong push to ban those substances here too yes how do you see these pictures on these YouTube videos of like massive amounts of bees just dead yeah it can happen basically it's chemicals that, that do that to the bees sometimes I have heard of this but I've never experienced that sometimes a mad neighbor that was stung or his dog was stung will come and spray wasp killer on your hive it can happen too so and sometimes a wise a wise guy like myself can do it to your own bees when I was beginner beekeeper I saw some pile ants around the hive and then I saw some wasps around the hive and I thought well let me just use the spray on them I sprayed just a little bit you know under the under the hive there you know where the ant piles were and then I sprayed some around the lid on the top where the wasps were trying to get in guess what there's always fanning bees at the entrance of the bee of the beehive right they are fanning the air creating flow through the hive and as I sprayed around the, the top of the lid some of that chemical went right inside of the colony and I killed my own colony with my own can of spray <laughs> so of course you learn as, as, as you work with these things so if you see ants around your hives don't hurry and and you know spray them or put some poison there because it can kill your own bees too the best thing for the ants and in california beekeepers deal with ants the best thing to fight the ants is keep strong colonies they can fight off the ants number two if your colonies are not strong in the spring especially in the spring your colonies are not very strong you want to lift your colony off the ground or treat your soil prior to bringing your colonies there so the ants would be dead and the 
the chemical already has decomposed or, you know, and, or washed away, then you put your colonies there. So that's the only way to deal with that. If you just have two hives, you can make a four-legged legged stand and put those, the stand in, in cans, empty cans, filled with some kind of mortar oil. So when the ants are trying to get on the top of a can, onto the hive to get in the hive because they can smell honey just like the bees can smell honey. They crawl up to the, on the side of the can, then they go on the inside wall and try to get on the leg of a hive stand and they can't because they drown in that oil. So that, that's a way to do it if, if you're dealing with ants wherever you are. Yes, diatomaceous earth is a good thing, especially it's good for hive beetle. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.